This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. I am with Daz Smith, a very well-known remote viewer. Daz, welcome. Oh, there it is. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. There's a lot of topics that we can discuss. So like I do with all my remote viewing interviews, let's establish your quote unquote origin story. So tell me about yourself, where are you from and how did you ultimately discover remote viewing, who trained you and all that good stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I'm Daz. I'm from the UK. I live in a, a city called Bath, which is a, a Roman city. And I've been interested in psychic work all my life. I can I come from I'm lucky to come from a household where the library of books we had on our shelves were all books on an esoteric nature. You know, they were there were books on how to read tarot cards, how to develop your ESP, channeling, all kinds of psychic work. And that was because my mother was essentially a clairvoyant healer medium who essentially ran the local spiritualist church here, here in Bath. So for me, from the age of 10 years onwards, I can remember being very infused and very addicted to, to reading books on ghosts and UFOs and all that kind of stuff. And then I, when I was, when I was around about 14 years old, I took the, what I call formal training in psychic work. I started a little bit early, but I was allowed to because of my heritage with my family. And I took training then in clairvoyance and mediumship, channeling, healing. And I played with all the other divination tools, you know, like tarot cards, sand reading, tea leaf reading, all that kind of stuff. And I did that for quite a few years until I stumbled across remote viewing which weirdly was at a UFO conference in 1992 here in the UK. And like, I got I got quite heavily in, into UFO research from 1989 onwards. And at this UFO conference, they played an audio tape of a person who I now know to be Ed Dames, who used to work for the Stargate program. We didn't know this at the time, of course. And I, in the audio tape conversation, which was secretly recorded, he was discussing how he was working projects for the military using military psychics to travel forward and backward through time to track the UFOs. So after hearing that, I was like, in 1992, and being a trained psychic myself, I was like, wow, I really need to to learn this. So yeah, essentially, uh, I then spent five years trying to find remote viewing resources. But you know, this was pre-internet or when the internet was so young. So when you heard the secret recording, did you say that it was 1992? 1992 yes okay so it wasn't formally acknowledged yet that was three years no no it was all still secret although ed dames had a bit of a big mouth and he was on the he was on the ufo circuit telling anyone and everyone he could essentially breaking his military oath and and essentially telling secrets as well you know Mm -hmm. and that's been documented in the actual stargate cia archives you can actually see that they were actually quite dismayed that he was out there on the circuit telling essentially what were government secrets at the time 
So yeah, he did the he you know he was caught on tape talking about this in 1992, but because it was pre-internet or the internet was you know 4K modems around mm-hmm. about that time, it it didn't really take off with remote viewing on the, what we call the public circuit until. 1995 when it you know all exploded and it all went public on american tv and then the classes and all the online training pretty much started in 1996 onwards and in 1996 that's when i started inquiring into getting my first set of remote viewing training and then who was the person who trained you well, my guy was a he's, a, he's a bit of a puzzle, to be honest. I was in an online forum talking about remote viewing in 1996. And I struck up a conversation with a, a man called Lee, Lee Culver. And he told me at the time that he was uh, ex-Special Forces. And he was in Russia at the time, training Russian people in emergency uh, medical techniques. And he was passing through London on his way back home, he said, in a few weeks. Would I like to go to London and learn... CRV, which was controlled remote viewing, and he offered it to me free of charge because you know during our conversations, it was discussed that I was unemployed at that moment in time. So he offered me the free training. I went to London for two weekends in a row, and I actually stayed at the house he stayed in as well because he, he arranged accommodation for me, and he essentially trained me over those days in what we now know as as CRV or coordinate remote viewing. Now, what strange milit- what military did he represent? He didn't tell me. All I knew, all all he claimed was ex special forces. He was a he was a big brute of a guy, and the way he moved, you know, you can kind of tell these these people by the way they uh, they move and the way they situate themselves in a room. So I didn't I have no reasons to disbelieve him. Was um, he American? Him, he is American. Yes, I've seen some pictures of him online in you know some kind of military gear and setup and stuff so i do believe his backstory but with my my research into stargate and you know the remote viewing program going on 26 years now i can't find any record of him being involved in any part of the official remote viewing program so here's an intriguing fact so i've always i asked this question for every everyone in the in the former stargate sunstreak grill flame program Yep. special access program. And one thing that David Morehouse had said is he asked Ingo Swan yep. what other units he may have trained. And one of the people that, or one of the groups that he mentioned was what's now called the combat applications group or oper, you know, operational detachment Delta. So he doesn't know for sure if Ingo Swan ever trained those guys, but I wouldn't be surprised yep. if they were trained and it wouldn't have come out because those guys are, you know, you'll see there's hundreds of books about the Navy SEALs and SEAL Team 6, but you never often hear about, or you rarely often hear about a Delta. I think I have, I was writing a book, a fiction book related to Delta, and I think I was able to find maybe three books okay, yeah. off, off the shelf. So well, ch- chances are, if he's special ops, he can only be from really, at least on the army side, you said soldier. There's only one of three places he could be, or maybe right, four. Yeah. There would be operate the the combat applications group. There would be Green Beret or, you know, special with the army, yeah. broadly yeah. called special forces, or Ranger. And then the last would be the ISA, but it's called the the activity, right? It's typically okay. where yeah. it's called. Yeah. And I don't think it's that because that's essentially how. Morehouse got into the unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
It's probably one of the other two, and I would yeah. say it's likely Delta. But was he about five nine? Oh no, way bigger than that. Because I'm five ten. He was been well over six foot. Okay, so that, I mean that 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 makes it less likely. He was so that's the other thing about Delta that they have a selection process that just is grueling and involves extremely long road marches. Actually, based on the British SAS. Yeah, but what tends to happen is the people who get through that process tend to be like at five nine i mean there's no i mean there's like a really weird anyway sorry i didn't yeah. mean to i mean I, i'm going on vague recollection recollections here as well because it was 26 years ago but when you mentioned ingo i actually um heard about those rumors as well and i i spent a day with ingo in new york because he invited me to stay with him several years ago and i asked him that very same question as well and he you know i asked him i've heard rumors that you trained another secret group can you confirm that and he sat back in his chair with his cigar, you know, like he did. And he, he was smiling at me when he said it. But he said, you know, there are some things that I signed a security oath on that and I can't confirm. But he said that as he was smiling. So I took that as an indicator, to be honest, that he was telling me that he he had done that. Yes. Or he could have been a former soldier who had served in the paramilitary group in the CIA, the Special op- Operations Group or something like that. But he wasn't a Marine, like he would have said a Marine, I guarantee it, yeah. if he were. I don't know. He does have a website online, so, you know, people can inquire. I, I literally haven't really, we've exchanged maybe one or two emails over 26 years. And any time I try to ask him any questions on his on his deep past, uh, I just don't get a reply back. And it's Lee Carver or Culver? Lee Culver, yeah. C-U-L-V-E-R. Okay. Yes. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely have to have to look. Yeah, have a look. There are, as I said, there are pictures of him doing stuff. I mean, I think last I saw he was doing, he was teaching search and rescue tracking services, all kinds of stuff like that. And I think he had an in- interest in Bigfoot and he was tracking Bigfoot stuff as well. I, I don't know. I'm not in touch with him. You know, all I can tell you is he trained me at the time. And, and the interesting thing is as well, he trained me and, and others in controlled remote viewing at a time when controlled remote viewing was not public and we all had access you know he gave us the controlled remote viewing training manual and it wasn't even public at the time it wasn't dis- disseminated anywhere so he did yeah that so that it has these interesting points to to the whole situation and here's another random question but related so the military did kind of had two well, there's probably more than two versions, but the versions I'm most familiar with are CRV and ERV. So, yeah. but the military called it coordinate remote viewing and then extended remote viewing. So, do you know? I, I've never asked this question because it, but it just come up over and over again. So, some people call it coordinate remote viewing. Some people call it yeah. controlled remote viewing. Is it the same thing, or is there a slight difference? It's the same thing, and it had a name change because it was decided part way through the program that they should stop using coordinates because over time a remote viewer might start getting an eidetic kind of memory over where certain coordinates are located roughly on the planet i asked ingo swan about the name as well again again and he told me that he always wanted it to be called controlled remote viewing but that the people in charge messed up he said he said a different kind of word but he said messed up morehouse told me about the coordinates is there was also a change during the time where they stopped using actual geospatial coordinates because yeah. anybody with with military training could like I spent five years at the National Training Center. If you told me okay. a, yeah. a, a six digit grid coordinate, I could point at a map without looking at the the grid and yes. tell you within a click of yeah. of where it was. So 
that you know obviously another reason to do it yeah. okay we found out since that you know the coordinates you know because we still use you know just out of almost like i don't know ha habit really we still use most of us use two sets of four digit coordinates but we don't you know half the time they, they don't even matter you know i've done projects right. for people where i just i just write target on the sheet of paper and i you know that's what i focus upon i give them the data and it's always still accurate so they don't really matter they're they're more there nowadays for admin purposes you know give the project a name that you can refer to in emails and that kind of thing. And it's almost as if they're infused with the gestalt of the target. And, and that's kind of why there's yeah. a ritual behind it. Yes. So. Yeah. Okay. So you're trained by Lee Culver over yes. a two-week period. And then what? And then, literally, I was kind of left on my own here in the UK. Um, we did have some people, because the class was about 20 people. So we did have some... Yeah, again, we didn't have emails that much back then. There was almost letter kind of system going back back and forth between people in the UK trying to get more remote viewing organized. They were doing practice targets and groups and stuff. But for me, that kind of fed off after a year or so. And I, I lost contact with all those people. But that's when remote viewing started to really emerge online. And this was in kind of like closed email groups. And, you know, some of the people you've already interviewed, Lynn and uh, Lynn Buchanan and Paul Smith and a few of the others, they were also in these very kind of like small remote viewing groups. So any questions I had or any questions other people had, they were bombarding all these ex-military guys questions at, at that time to try to get a bit more information on the nuances of remote viewing. So that's probably what I did for the next few years is had online conversations and literally started my practice regime, which is, you know, I still class myself as a practicing remote viewer, you know, almost 26 years later. So I still think that, yeah, all of us are still students, so there's so much that we just don't know about how this works. And so you, you practice, and what sort of targets did you first start out with? I first started out with online pools, online target pools. Lim Buchanan at the time had a very early good target pool, so I, I used a lot of targets for him. him. Um, and I also used to get my partner to cut pictures and stuff out of magazines, seal them up in envelopes, write a number on the front and, and give me that kind of thing. You know, because it was the early days of the internet, there wasn't huge amounts of target pools out there. So you had to make do of whatever you could to learn the craft really. Yeah. And when you were learning, training, when did you know, and I, and I don't mean believe, I mean, know it was real. For me, I mean, I'm different from most people, you know, because my approach was I'd already trained in, in all classical psychic techniques. So I, I knew I was a talented natural psychic anyway, whereas a lot of the people that come to remote viewing just haven't had that background. So I knew it worked. For me, the difference was in my classical psychic work, if you can envision this, you know, you're in, you're, it's all spontaneous. So you're in a car. You're a passenger in the car and the driver of the car is the spontaneous process. So it chooses where you go, what you see, what you stop. You have no control over it whatsoever. You're just there looking out the window, trying to take in information. What remote viewing and essentially controlled remote viewing did is it allowed me to swap places. So I then swapped from being the passenger in the car to the driver. And now I'm in total control of, the, of all the intuitive psychic process. It's not spontaneous anymore. So like I sit down here at my desk, I say, okay, I'm now going to do my project. I'm going to get my psychic information. Here's my stack of paper or my tablet and my pen. 
and for an hour i'm there in the flow in the zone so yes so i decide now being the driver when i want to stop what i want to look at and all this as you remote view what's your view on the ability for people to learn is this an ability that everyone has or is this an ability that as you were kind of already had some sort of psychic ability is it something that only some portion of humanity can do in your opinion that by the way this is yeah, an opinion, yeah. right there's the from, from the research i'm from my years because i have taught taught a few people as well and you know i do interact with hundreds of people online i believe that anyone could do this you know it's an inbuilt natural ability within all humans but you know i have to put a butt on all this like any other ability in all humans you know including things like running or playing the piano or whatever if you don't have a certain amount of natural ability you might not ever get to the level of a of you know like what we call a superstar or someone great you know just because you want to you know play piano in a concert hall you you, you might not never get there you might be able to balance out a tune but you not not might not you know be hireable as one of the world's best so i believe everyone has a possibility of, of getting the most basic information but natural talent and dedication to learning the craft over a period of many years probably does help along the way so it's probably a bit of a percentage a bit of a percentage of natural talent percentage of years of dedication in practice and and so on which will constitute to how how could you actually become in the end yeah so an analogy i've often heard is that remote viewing ability is similar to learning a mu musical instrument yeah. and there are some people out there who may be tone deaf and makes it make makes it much harder so assuming that analogy is appropriate which it may not it may not be but just for the purpose of asking the next question if it is similar is it more difficult to learn if you do it later in life like it is in a musical instrument or a new language or is it something where you know i think prior to the call we talked about time not mattering yeah. does the time not matter you kind of retard that or 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 change that notion yeah that's a good question i don't think time would probably matter uh, but bear in mind i i've only taught probably about 12 13 people today in it myself and i haven't seen any problems in the learning uh, no matter the age really other than it does take you know, a lot of years to be competent at this you know i i i kind of relate it more to like learning a martial art because i've done, i you know i've learned quite quite a few martial arts and that you know when you're learning like karate for example you know you can learn to do the basic punches and kicks you know with your stage one and two belt you know your white and your, your yellow yellow belt but to really know how your opposition moves and to know which punches and kicks work for you as a person it really does get to the black belt level where you've spent like four to six years immersed in the art that you're practicing and i think it's the same for remote viewing i think anyone could do it to varying levels but the more amount of time you really put into integrating the art the art of remote viewing as muscle memory that's when you really start to become really good at it are there certain attributes of folks that are highly correlated with remote viewing 
So in other words, is there some IQ element? Is there an EQ element? Is there a physical element, right? For instance, if good basketball player, right? I would say the taller you are, the the better, you know, your basketball yeah. player you're going to be. That does, But if you're uncoordinated, right? Coordination is also highly correlated to being a good basketball yeah. player. So you can be really tall and, and uncoordinated. Therefore, you would not be a good basketball player. Yeah. So are there certain variables that are more highly correlated with remote viewing or remote viewing ability than others? I would say yes, but I couldn't back this up with scientific data. I think SRI and and the Stargate unit also came to similar conclusions that creative people seem to do better with this kind of thing. And bearing in mind that, you know, the CRV process that I use and the major population of remote viewers use or a derivative of that involves uh, sketching because, mm-hmm. you know, CRV essentially came from Ingo Swan, who not only was he a gifted, you know, psychic and intuitive, but he was an author and he was an artist as well. And essentially the process he came up with is a six stage process. But if you really knock it back to its core, it starts off with doodles. Then you advance to sketches and then you advance to models at the target, which is all a big, artistic process in itself so i i personally believe you know i'm being a graphic designer and artist and photographer myself i believe that and i've seen that creative people seem in my opinion to do better within the methods approach to remote viewing but i also believe and you know because i've done years of operational work that if i had the money to put together the ideal kind of like marvel team you know the operational team of choice I would want to have an engineer, a doctor or nurse or psychologist, an architect in there, a creative person. So I would want to have one of several different skill sets, knowing that when you do a target, there's a weird process that happens in the the target when you're working in a team. It seems to get intelligently divided up. I think if you had one of those every skill sets, you'd get more data from the target than if you just use all creatives or all engineers or all scientists. Now, when you say creatives are more successful, is that just simply because they're more capable of sketching out their perceptions or is there something in their perceptions that's also tends to be higher quality? Again, it's not scientific, right? But yeah, it's not scientific. I think it's both of those, but it's not just sketches is, you know, it's word. You know, a lot of the a lot of the RV data is is word based as well as the sketches as well. So it's being able to articulate the the you know the words because the, the what happens with remote viewing is it's very subtle impressions, and you know it's it's very it's very subtle impressions of sounds, tastes, smells, textures, that kind of stuff that you're trying to record. So you need to have a good lexicon of words to describe these as well. So yeah, I think people that have that creative bent. Just do that a little bit better. But as I said, you know, if the target was something like a car engine or, you know, so, you know, a client wanted to know what the, what Apple was working on five years into the future, at that stage, an engineer or someone that knows IT and stuff would be a better part of the mix than probably a, a creative person would be. So it is target well, dependent in, as well. And therein lies the problem with remote viewing, say, the far future, right? Because there will be things that, are just not in your intellectual Rolodex Absolutely. that you can't yes. explain or you don't even know. It's almost like, yes. again, I don't mean to, I didn't, I never intended to invoke Nostradamus in this, but a lot of his predictions are 
you know, he's when he's describing helicopters, he's describing like flying locusts and and things yes. like that because he didn't have a lexicon to yeah. describe these things. So you didn't say this, but I'm going to throw it out there because I I think you implied it. There's also a high correlation with intelligence, right? Somebody who's more intelligent would have a larger vocabulary, yes. would be able to cover these subtle, yes, uh, and also gradations of intelligence, on but also yeah. someone you could, you used the right words, mental rhododex, someone that had experienced a lot more as well. So you know, someone you know, for for example, I always do really well on pyramids targets when they're and you know when they're given to me blind, but that's because I've been to the pyramids three times, so I've touched it, I've been there, I've smelt it. I have this internal mental rolodex that when the target information comes through in a subtle form, it knows how to how to pick something out of my memories to to attach to say hey, it was just like this kind of thing, but you know. I've never experienced a nuclear power station, for example, or what radiation would be like in the vicinity of it. So that's that would be harder for me to describe because it's just not in anywhere in my knowledge or life life stream in any way. Okay, that's actually pretty fascinating. So based on your kind of answer, in speaking with other remote viewers, there's certainly a creative aspect to selection, yeah. right? Yeah. Either writing and or sketching artistry etc there was certainly an intelligence component when dia would would choose people yes. to participate in the program yes. and I, i'm not sure if there was but there was also some sort of when i talked to paul smith he described taking personality tests and typically what yes. the military would do then they would take people who had performed well in the position and try to assign similar people from a personality standpoint. Now, yes. I was only able to get what his Myers-Briggs type indicator was, but people that I've spoken with, at least I know for sure David Morehouse, and I know from talking to Paul Smith that extroversion was <laughs> – was something they both have in, have in common. But that doesn't mean that that's what they only selected for. It's just Those are just two examples. And the introverts wouldn't stand out as, as much, so I wouldn't know if they were introvert or extrovert. So that's... Yeah, yeah. So is there also a personality type? I would imagine introverts would be able to do well in this too, but I don't, I don't know. Those are the only two examples I know, so it confounds what I would think. I've seen the Stargate documents that detail the personality test. I'm not sure they came up with a conclusion, though, because I've seen different... Variants of that. I don't know. I haven't done anything that formal myself. I kind of, because I I work with teams of people. I kind of just look at their track record. You know, a bit like a portfolio. I look at their track record of targets. I kind of look at them as a person. Can I get on with this person? Do they look like they can capable of what they're doing? And that's how I pick teams and how I work with people because there's a lot of trust involved as well. I have to feel like I trust everyone involved in the team that i'm working with because if you don't if you have someone in there as a bit of a a bit of a bad egg a bit of a loose cannon it does seem to massively affect the whole performance of the whole team so i guess i i kind of eyeball or ad hoc it kind of gut feeding on personality people but i i have to be honest i haven't i haven't seen anything formal that i that i agree with properly on, on that it's one of the research things that i think definitely still needs to be done for remote viewing 
So speaking of research, do you do you know of any academics who have focused on this particular topic? As I said, only the the loose documents I've seen in the Stargate archives. I mean, since that program closed in '95. I don't see much of any kind of formal research into into all the bigger questions within remote viewing. Yeah, as I said, you know, we're here now. What was it thirty odd years later after Stargate closed, and even still today, we have no idea how how it works. We have no idea whatsoever. Why do you think that path hasn't been pursued? That's a good question. It may have been, but in black projects you know there are i have had some indicators literally just over the last uh, year that there are some ongoing secret projects doing doing work but you know in the in the academia there doesn't seem to be anyone that can get the funding or or, or seems to want to do this i mean you know i've asked uh, in some of my in some of the projects that i've run you know with the role of telepathy within remote viewing for example I've called that out, you know, for several years now, saying we don't know what how much of a role it has. And from someone like me who's selling remote viewing services, I find it a little bit worrying ethically because if I'm providing information to people and they're paying for it, I want to know that the information I'm I'm providing actually comes from the target itself and not from not from the person that's asking me, you know, the question. You know, I I don't want to be there just parrot fashion giving them what they want to hear. But at this moment in time, I don't think we can, as remote viewers, definitively say to anyone, including any client, yes, the information comes from the target. You know, we don't know the boundaries of of everyone that's involved in the project, including the person tasking the target, and how much they're influencing us, giving them the data. I mean, I think the only way to really ensure it is a try to do a double blind tasking. Yes. Right, where the person giving you the tasking has no idea what they're talking about. Yep. And also picking targets that are less infused with, or, or at least the way you, you pick the targets. Because I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, as an example, I, I think I was, I was watching, I think on, on your YouTube channel, Remote Viewed, there was a tasking that you did on the semiconductors recovered from the Roswell crash, right? Which presupposes that that's true, yes. right? Which it, it could very well be, but yeah. if it's not true, that tasking is very likely to result in telepathic yes. overlay, right? Yes. So asking the right question or a better question would have been, you know, observe this point in time, in space and time. And tell me, tell me what the, you know, kind of. Yeah. That what, target you know, was trying. If, there, to, if there's an event, like look for something energetic. What do you find? You know. Yeah, but that that, that target had a specific aim in that the person wanted to try to confirm what Colonel Corso wrote in his book, The Day right. After Roswell, where he said that he had these semiconductors in, in a, a filing cabinet. So yeah, uh, one of the big things with remote viewing is it needs, or every target should, as much as possible, have what we call an element of feedback to be able to then take the remote viewing data and then assess it against feedback to see how you know see how much of, of this is accurate that the one we were discussing has a certain amount of feedback in that you know there was a colonel corso he did write a book called day after roswell uh he right. claims there was a ufo you know crashing at roswell so if we describe that then and that matches then is the other stuff matchable as well yeah it, 
it's a hard one and there are lots of inappropriate targets out there that are being chosen from us as remote viewers of course but as a remote viewer because we're blind to the target we don't have any choice in <laughs> how yeah. the target set and we only get it we only get to see it after the fact and you know many a times i've sat there and i'm sitting there thinking why did they send me for two days looking at that you know now is that something people. do you think in the long run can be fixed because that is one of the fundamental limitations of remote viewing it doesn't really work well if you know what the target is because yeah. you get a flood of whatever's in your it, yes in your Rolodex, in your personal Rolodex, that may or may not have to do, you know, it's just AOLs, right? Yes. Analytical overlays. Yes. So I, I just feel like there's, for some reason, this field has been stymied by being kind of discredited by U.S. intelligence organizations for, for good reason, right? Like if I had a, a technique that I could see anywhere in space and time and nothing could prevent me from going to say listen in on all meetings in Langley, Virginia. Yeah. Right. I would be like, yeah, it's complete kookery. It doesn't exist. It's it's you know, I'd want it yes. for myself. Absolutely. Um, yes. And so, I think I think there's been an active program to do that. Bit, you know, a bit like there's an active program still ongoing to split the the U what I call the UFO or UAP community using disinformation techniques for decades i do believe that's probably gone on with remote viewing and there are people you know you know like ed dames that goes out there in a very public forum and makes very wild claims and every single one of them has been completely off target mm -hmm. knowing how he was trained and what he was training and stuff and, and you know having access to his, his military records i have to kind of I personally conclude that there are there is a disinformation campaign out there against remote viewing because you know it is so powerful. We do know at the time when the Stargate program was running, when they realized at a high level that literally a remote viewer could access all information, you know, some of the top people were quite scared of that, you know, because there are no secrets anymore. Yeah, that's the Sugar Grove incident, right? With Pat Price. Pat Price and Ingo Swan, yes, yes. And there were, you and know, there's the, other for, for viewers. Well. Sugar Grove is the NSA facility that had some extremely high technological capability in tracking Soviet satellites and intercepting communications. Potentially, you know, it had the you know, all the names Cue Ball and you know all those projects, which really freaked yes. out the CIA and NSA. Yeah, but yeah, as far as where we know at this point in time. And, you know, I've done thousands of experiments now going over a 26-year period. There are no limitations to, to what can be done. You know, I've set targets where the target only exists in, literally only exists in my mind. And I set that as a target, a blind target to remote viewers. So I created a fictional UFO event in my head, and it didn't exist at that point anywhere else. And I set that to them as a target, and they described it exactly as I imagined it in my in my head. So here's a here's a question that I'm going to use to to end this episode. How do you know it wasn't real? Where did that thought come from? Yeah, well, right. hopefully it wasn't a real UFO encounter because in my head I envisioned it outside my own house and stuff. Again, I take I could take multiverse Absolutely. theory and say maybe yes. another Daz Smith in a in a separate branch of reality experienced that. It's quite possible, as as we discussed, we don't know how how this works, and every, there seems to be an underlying 
connective tissue to everything in the universe. And that's, that's how this seems to work. All right. Well, Daz, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I look forward to dis- discussing some esoteric targets in the next episode. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.